Give Dad the gift of Father's Day fun, starting with a great selection of gear from Academy Sports and Outdoors. Swing by your local Academy store today or shop online at academy.com. Also, enjoy free in-store pickup with all your online orders in just two hours. So don't wait. Shop Father's Day gifts at Academy. Hello and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Fishing the Shallows for Inshore Slams. I'm going to be talking to Captain Tommy Sports of Sports Fishing Adventures, and he operates out of sea level, operates all over the core sound. We'll be covering such areas as times to go, planning, transition zones and structure, and then ultimately tackling gear. My name is Gary Hurley, Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this podcast series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insight, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, every week I'm joined by my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, it's good to be talking podcast again. Gary, it's good to be um, good to be talking fishing. Uh, are we talking podcasting? I can do that too. I can nerd no, out. I don't want to talk podcast. <laughs> I want to talk fishing. <laughs> yeah, man, it's good. It's good to be back. It's been a minute. Um, man, we have been busy creating some content around here, so it's been a lot of fun between our fishing reports and forecasts each week and the podcast each week man it's been a lot of fun so i'll probably spend more time with you now than i do my family and my wife but you know whatever it works i like it <laughs> i mean we'll, let's ride this creative train until we have to get off i mean right <laughs> yeah right what else do you guys want let us know in the comments what other kind of content gary he has a few more nights of the week we can take up and record stuff no problem he's good for it <laughs> Oh, man, but it is a lot of fun, and it's a lot of fun to be joined by our sponsors, Marine Warehouse Center and Bland Landscaping. So I want to take a minute to shout those guys out for making all this stuff possible and this podcast possible. So first up, we got Bland Landscaping Company. Uh, they, are, they have locations all throughout North Carolina, and they're looking for people to come work for them and really make a career move. So you can go to their website, blandlandscapingcompany.com, and check them out. And then also hit them up for some work. I'm sure they uh, – I'm sure if you got some work for them, they won't turn you down. They'll quote you. I tell you what, man, I thought about bland landscaping. You know, the wife schedules parties at the house and the yard <laughs> has to be neat and tidy for these parties at our house. And I'm sitting here thinking, why am I spending a day, sometimes even more than a day in the yard? Why don't I call bland landscaping? I mean, I didn't call them, but I was thinking, why wouldn't I? <laughs> and I got to be thinking, again, other people are like me. You get a day off. Do you want to spend in the yard or you want to hop on that boat and try to catch more fish more often? Yeah, man, you should call them, have them come do your, your yard work. and We'll create more content, Gary. It'll be fun. It'll be great. So no, I don't want to. I don't want to do content. I want to fit. <laughs> I want to be outside. I want to play. I want to be on my boat. Oh, whatever. <laughs> yes. All right. Enjoy your boat, Gary. All right. Speaking of boats, Marine Warehouse Center, I get a quick message from them and we'll be right back. In Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats, we have parts, we have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have it. 
At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. There Good you go, man. Sales, service, parts. They got it, man. They'll take care of you. They took care of me. Yeah, go get a job at Bland. Then actually hire your own company, Bland, to mow your yard and then go buy a boat and have those guys work on it as need be and keep you on the water. Sounds like a great summer. And just follow Gary around for all the fishing spots. Yeah, you can follow me. I mean, you're a fool if you do, but come on, follow me. <laughs> you know, you just got to. fun. You, I follow my captain friend. You know, follow me. I'm following someone else. We'll all follow somebody. Maybe we'll catch a fish. I don't know. But I, <laughs> I tell hope you what. Are enjoying my jokes because I've gotten some training. I've been I've been hanging out in Marine Warehouse getting some training from uh, from Tyrrell. So, oh, are you telling the joke this week? No, no, no. I'm not telling. I mean, I was just oh. referencing my jokes throughout the episode so far. That's all I was talking about. I got you. Well, yeah. Tyrrell did have a joke, although I urge people to stop by Marine Warehouse Center or call or email <laughs> and help Tyrrell out because he's got to be coming to the end. He's got to be coming to the end and. I mean, I don't know. You're a bigger fan. Right. Here's Terrell's joke, not mine. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready when Terrell's you are. joke, not mine. What is the name of a boat made out of stones? Something about sinking. I don't know what that is. It's a hardship. <laughs> All right. That's pretty funny. Is it? <laughs> I spend too much time with a three-year-old, okay? I'm maybe not is the best it? judge of, of funny or not funny. <laughs> <laughs> please go by and talk to Terrell and give him jokes, please. <laughs> I, I love it, man. I, I hope everyone does. It's one. Yeah. He's probably like, why are all these people coming in here telling me jokes? This is ridiculous. Stop doing <laughs> that. It would, that would be beautiful. <laughs> Send us fish photos. Speaking of fish photos. I got one right here for you. We have, we got Colby Wallace hooked this 24 inch red drum using a live menhaden on a bottom rig while fishing in the Swansboro area. I don't know what's bigger, that fish or that smile on that kid's face, but I'm glad he's having a good time because if I caught that fish, Gary, I would also be smiling that big as well. Yeah, man. I, I'm good digging job. that. I was, I was not looking at the fish. I was looking at the smile, and that is a great shot. Yeah. It, was, that, was that a testimony from our podcast? I'm sure it was. We don't have to answer that question. I'm sure that kid listens to the show, did what, did what the captains told him to, and slayed a big fish. If he didn't, we're going to edit that photo right out of the show. <laughs> yeah, do some research. Figure it out. I'll edit. Man, it's not Put too. It. <laughs> it's never too early to learn life lessons, kid. You're not the only smiling kid with a fish, all right? <laughs> Replace you. But really do. Send your fish photos in to Gary. And don't text them to me. A lot of people text me photos. I, I just, I just I keep them on my phone. You. I just Photoshop my face on there and, show it and send it to the next guy. So. Well, look, we've already plugged our weekly fishing reports, so I am going to say Billy's best takeaway will be coming to you just at the conclusion of my conversation with Captain Tommy Sports. Billy's best takeaway, and again, I'm making that transition because we've already promoted our weekly fishing reports behind a paywall. All you got to do is go to fishermanspost.com. But right now, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Captain Tommy Sports, Sports Fishing Adventures. Welcome to the show, Fishing the Shallows for Inshore Slams. How are you doing, Tommy? I'm doing well, Gary. Uh, thank you for having me be a part of your podcast today. 
My pleasure, Tommy. My pleasure. Now, I know you've seen the show. We've talked about the fact that you've seen the show, so you know that the tradition is two questions before we get to the main event. First question, correct. you tell me you're ready. I'm going to give you question number one. All right, go ahead. Because right now I'm wondering why should we listen to what you have to say about any of the inshore slam species, let alone you're going to be talking to us about inshore slams in general. Why? Well, I think that question can be answered in two parts. Number one, uh, with the podcast that I've listened to, uh, you usually bring competent captains to the table, um, folks that understand the, uh, you know, what they're fishing for. And uh, with that, your betting process, the fact that you've invited me to come be a part of it, I feel like I'm fairly confident in, in what we're going to be discussing. Uh, secondly, you know, I've spent the last 13 years exclusively fishing saltwater. And of that, the last six years fishing core sound, which is what I'm going to be referencing a lot of today. Uh, along with core sound, anybody that's been on core sound knows it's a shallow water body. Uh, a lot of flats throughout uh, the bank side and the land side of core sound. And <clears throat> through my years of fishing core sound, I uh, found it, uh, it to be uh, to be successful in uh, catching inshore slams. Uh, caught several last year. I've already picked up on several this year, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the summer. So hopefully I'll be able to share some information be of benefit to someone somewhere along the way. That is a great that is a great and acceptable answer. As far as vetting you, I don't know. You were like the only guy that said yes this week. But if you want to feel vetted, <laughs> then I'm going to say you were vetted. Question <laughs> Question number two, <clears throat> as tradition goes, is a non-fishing related question. Right. Are you ready for question number two, Tommy? I am. All right. I took a play off an of inshore slam. So I was thinking about slams. I was thinking about the best slam. Tommy Sports, what is, this is trivia, I guess, and opinion. What is widely regarded as the best slam in all of pro wrestling history? Ooh. The best slam. Uh, you know, it's been a long time since I watched wrestling. I grew out of that probably 40 years ago. Uh, well, I'll tell see. you who did the slam, and maybe you can tell me who he slammed. Hulk Hogan is the one that performed the slam. And again, this is widely considered the biggest slam in pro wrestling history. Uh, maybe Ric Flair. Andre. Um, Andre the Giant. There you go, Andre the Giant. All right, enough of pro wrestling history. And someone might tell us we got it wrong, that there's a bigger slam in, in pro wrestling history. But let's right, talk fishing the shallows for inshore slams. In your show notes, if I got this right, first we're going to talk about when we can expect to have success if we're going to do that type of fishing. Is that correct? Yeah, we can talk about that. You know, there's been some debate, Gary, over, you know, what is a flat and what is an inshore slam. I don't know if it's necessary to discuss that today, uh, but if you want to, we can. Uh, we can just yeah, jump give me, right in. Give me what you got. Okay, well, quickly, uh, a, a quick assessment of what I understand a flat to be is an area or zone of shallow water that has very little contour changes. These areas can be expansive in size, several thousand acres to smaller, a uh, couple hundred acres. We've got some aerials that I'm going to share with you with today's podcast that will, re will reflect some of that. Uh, but also, you know, these areas are uh, composed of sand, uh, grass, silt, mud, and the transition of all of these. Uh, a lot of uh, tidal channels, uh, a lot of times on the backside of the flats. 
uh, at least that's what I refer to as a flat. Uh, it could just be referred to as a shallow area, but by IGFA uh, international rules, uh, an inshore slam would be uh, catching, targeting, and catching a uh, game species of flounder, red drum, and speckled trout in one single day. So, um, along those lines, uh, you know, the best time, in my opinion, to uh, pursue an inshore slam while fishing the shallows uh, would be between the months of May and uh, October. Uh, primarily because the speckled trout, you know, they, they use these flats as spawning grounds. Uh, they'll come in and um, uh, between the, the months of May and October, uh, spawn several times uh, before they move back into their uh, winter transition zones. Um, the peak of the spawning uh, time for uh, speckled trout, uh, by the what research that I've looked at, is during the month of May. Uh, and they will spawn every month throughout the summer. So um, they relate to the flats uh, with respect to that. Uh, you know, with the flounder migration coming in uh, off their winter patterns, uh, they will be uh, maneuvering all throughout the sound and they utilize the flats uh, uh, throughout the summer um, and the transition zones that, that you'll find on the flats. And anybody who does much red drum fishing knows that shallow water is an excellent place to look for them and target them as they're in the, you know the migration zones of the flats um so outside of that yeah uh, may through october excellent months to target an inshore slam and we're right here in the middle of it so if i were to say your one favorite month though tommy what's your one favorite month uh you know going off of my experience gary uh june is a really hot month, uh, not just temperature-wise, but several inshore slams uh, that I've caught personally and had clients catch uh, that had had zero saltwater experience come out with a little bit of instruction uh, describing what tactics I use and what techniques uh, I use. Um, they were able to put together an inshore slam on their first trip. So uh, June's a really good month uh, to get out and uh, you know, pursue an inshore slam on the flats, of course. So now we're talking about planning, I believe. And so how, how is it that we plan to target the flats for an inshore slam? Or how is it that you plan to target the flats for an inshore slam? Well, there's several things I think to take in mind when you are planning a trip, uh, wanting to fish the flats. Um, first off, I think, you need to know what the capabilities of your boat is, um, what your capabilities as a captain are, um, and what those limitations are as well. Um, as you are planning a trip, know what your boat is capable of doing, what kind of water you're capable of uh, maneuvering your boat into. As you'll find getting in on the flats, um, you may uh, have some areas that you can get in and there's areas that you can't uh, get a boat into um, on certain tide swings. So understanding uh, the day's wind, which is uh, very key to uh, determining what area that I'm going to try to target, um, if, especially if I'm using a, uh, trying to drift through a flat. Uh, what's the forecasted winds for the day? What, what are the, uh, the wind speeds and direction? Uh, what are the predicted uh, tides and the time frames of those predicted flood tides or ebb tides? Ideally, you know, I'd like to uh, try to hit uh, the uh, peak of a flood tide, uh, two hours on each side of that. Uh, gives you the most access into these shallow waters without having to worry about working your way back out. 
uh, understanding the you know the moon phase and the tidal coefficients and how that's going to play a part uh, with uh, the amount of uh, tidal swing that you do have. Uh, you know anybody that that's been on uh, saltwater doing much fishing, you understand that uh, on a full moon and uh, on a new moon, you have the greatest tidal pool, um, and then on the uh, half waxing, half wing, you have a much lesser pool uh, of the tide. So. Um, you got to play all these factors into account as you're planning for a given day. Um, you know, oftentimes before I go out and and uh, plan the day, I, I take a good look at some aerial imagery. At least that's what I did in the beginning. And anybody that does not have much experience fishing the flats, I highly encourage you to look at uh, some aerial imagery, whether it be Google or whatever other platform it is that uh, you decide to use. But understand the area that you're going into and uh one thing i think is important is is when you understand or when you're taking a look at that aerial imagery and you pick an area that you want to get in and fish um that information is only as good as you take away after ground truth in it um i've got a, a pretty much a philosophy if you want to know it you need to tow it and with that uh towing being time on the water and that's really the only way that you're going to know the water that you're working is spend time on the water. All right, Having hold on. Good, I, I want to interrupt yeah. for a second because I, I yeah. want to follow along as, with what we're doing. So we're yeah. going to come back to the tides and the moon phases and the science paper you want me to write. But other <laughs> than that, I'm intrigued by Google Earth because yeah. a lot more people are using that. And again, you're talking to us about core sound. And we do want to understand Core Sound, a great place, like a beautiful place. Everyone should put it on their list to fish it at least a couple of times. But, you right. know, certainly some people are watching this, hoping they can take away something to fish in their own backyards, their own flats. So forgive me. I don't spend much time on Google Earth. I'm still, as we joke, hopping on a captain's boat who's done the work, and I'm not doing that. So Google Earth, like... Are you really able to see flats on Google Earth, or is it dependent on what tide they took that satellite shot, whether or not you can really tell it's a flat or not? I guess I'm asking no, for a little you, bit you more can see it. Google Absolutely. Earth direction. Yeah, you can see it. And part of those aerials that I sent, uh, you can clearly see where the flats are at. And that's one thing I was going to try to uh, share in this, that that's what I look for uh, when I'm looking for transition zones. And are you looking for big areas to call flat? So, like, what is it that gets you excited? Again, if I were to put you in a new area, clearly you're familiar with core sound. But if I were to put you up, say, behind Hatteras or behind Oregon Inlet and put you to work at Google Earth, what is it that you're looking for? I'm looking for those transition zones, uh, those areas that come out of deep water into the shallow areas. I'm looking for the uh, transition zones where you have the grass uh, migrating up against sand, silt areas, uh, areas within a flat that uh, have some low profile or low relief structure that fish and bait are going to relate to. Um, also, when fishing flats, uh, what I'm what I'm looking for and trying to relate to on Google Earth is where we have these continuous beds of grass uh, that uh, we can drift across and and um, work those areas for certain species. I found over you know the years of fishing, uh, at least the flats and core sound, uh, that uh, certain zones, at least how I refer to them, are more productive than others uh, when you specifically are looking for trout or specifically looking to catch flounder or red drum. 
So we can go over that as well if you'd like. So, man, am I looking – and then, you, again, and I, I know I'm sort of jumping around a little bit, but if I'm then putting my time in on the water, if I see a spot, am I looking for something that has, like, two feet of water at high tide, like – more feet of water at high tide like it's at least covered at low tide or is it okay to be exposed at low tide like what well what makes yeah, for you, a ideal zone you aren't really going to know what it's like gary until you get out and ground truth it and that's what i mean by spending time on the water um what i would recommend anybody who's not familiar with this is to uh, get out and explore, get out and find an area that they're interested in, learn what you can about that area, uh, and take that aerial imagery that you've been looking at and apply it to the ground where you're fishing. Uh, that's where you're really going to learn uh, what areas uh, you may have a couple foot of water to work with and what areas are going to be completely exposed on a low tide. Well, I guess that's what I'm asking. Like I was imagining I was on the water that I wasn't going to be able to determine that from Google Earth. I guess I'm just asking for your opinion. Again, kind of like I said, what's your ideal month? You said June. So what's your, is there an ideal flat? Like, is it two feet of water at high tide or it can be four feet of water at high tide? Is it never exposed, dry land exposed at low tide? Or is it okay to be exposed at low tide? I'm just kind of wondering your opinion about ideal for those people to keep in mind when they are out on the water, checking out their own backyard? Uh, you know, probably the most ideal uh, depth uh, on a flood tide would be, uh, you know, three to four feet. I mean, it's going to give you plenty of water to work uh, when, when the tide does fall out. Uh, you mentioned having uh, areas that are exposed on a low tide. Uh, when you do have a flood tide, sometimes you can drift across those and, and catch some, some red drum that are working their way through, possibly some flounder that come in on a high tide. But, um, as the tide does pull out, you know, the fish are going to move along with that. So if you're looking for a specific water depth, um, you know, you're not going to gather that off of Google Earth, but you can get an idea of where the shallow areas are at and uh, looking at these shoal areas. Um, or these grass flats that are on the back side of them before you go into the tidal channels uh, up along the bank side. Okay, man. I'm not, I follow all this. I was just trying to come up with, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was, you're giving us more information. I was trying to, you know, dumb it down, I guess, or something. Mm -hmm. What else did you have? I mean, and now I might have thrown you off rhythm. What else did you have for planning, man? You know, so we're on Google Earth and we're scouting out some zones. And I follow you about the limitations of the boat. And I guess you're mostly talking about just what kind of skinny water your boat will do or what kind of skinny water your boat won't do. I guess that's what you were talking about. And so what what else am I missing on the planning stage or what else did you have planned to share with us on the planning stage? Well, just understanding where those transition zones are at. Uh, and one of the biggest things that I have learned over the years is having an identified entry and exit zone. Uh, you know, I've come in on the flats and these are some lessons learned from me in the years past. You come in and you're having a good time fishing, the tide fall out from up underneath you, and then you're gonna spend several hours in there waiting for the tide to come back in before you can navigate out. You learn where those really shallow areas are at. So I think identifying where your entry and exit zones are at, planning ahead, and if you do find that you are working a, a area that's gonna to be too shallow, uh, having time to get out of it. Now, someone in a kayak, you know, you can get in work uh, these shows, uh, these uh, 
flat areas no problem regardless uh, you get in you know i've got two different boats to operate out of one's an 18 foot uh, aluminum tractor boat that drafts about 10 inches you know i work pretty much all over the tides uh, in that and i'm i mean all over the uh, flats in that and kind of know where i need to be when i need to be but i had to learn some of those lessons the hard way uh, my other boat drafts 14 inches it's not going to go where my uh flounder gigging boat will go so um I think knowing your boat, knowing its capabilities, limitations, and, and then again, your capabilities as a captain working in those areas is probably of most benefit. Are you able to get an idea of an entrance exit point from Google Earth, or does that really just have to happen once you're on the water in real time? I think you can get a good idea of where those entry and exit points are at, just looking at the color changes that Google Earth um, has on it as you're studying the flats, uh, your, the darker areas uh, of the aerial imagery, a lot of times indicates uh, a little deeper water. Uh, your lighter colored areas on the aerial imagery, a lot of times indicates the shoulder up areas and more shallow zones. Um, and we can go over some of those if you'd like uh, to try to describe that with the arrows that I provided. Yeah, man, I, I like that you have transition zones and structure in the notes, and I think this is a good natural time to go to a slide. You want us to bring up the first slide? Yeah, let's go to slide one. We'll talk about that just for a minute. So what okay. am I looking at? First, tell me what I'm looking at. All right, so basically this is the southwest side of Core Sound, uh, that island that you're looking at on the left-hand side of the photo is Harker's Island. Come due east off of that to the right of the screen um, is an area that I'm referencing uh, that uh, would be similar to what I fish in, in a flat. Uh, that particular area, if it's mapped out, it's about 1,500 acres. Uh, it's a large area, and if you don't know much about core sound, you know, th these areas can be intimidating. Um, so I picked this small area uh, on Google Earth to bring up. And as you look, if, if you come just east of Harker's Island there, as you come into that grassy area, you can see where it transitions uh, into a shoal area before it comes into the grass area on the off side of the shoals. Can you see that, Gary? Yeah, man. Okay. So uh, basically, I break that down, if if you will, to uh, zone one being on the outer edge, uh, where you come up out of the deeper water into the shoal areas, uh, coming off the shoal areas into the predominantly grass areas, uh, as zone two, uh, and that's just how I reference it. Um, then when you leave the grass, moving into some of these tidal creeks that are on the bank side, I refer to that as as zone three. Um, so with that, um, you can look on the south side, uh, southwest corner um, of this, and this particular uh, bank is oriented from southwest to northeast. You'll see some darker colored areas that I would identify as an entry zone on the southwest side. Um, you come up just a little bit, you'll see uh, an area that showed up um, that has some darker areas around it. Uh, if I were just looking at this and not know anything about it, I would predetermine that may be a good exit point. Um, <clears throat> certainly to the far northeast, there's another good exit point, as you can see some deeper water. Uh, but it, you're looking at a, a four-mile stretch there. Um, so if you're drifting, you know, through that area, uh, you, you've got a lot of ground to cover before you come out on the exit side on the other end. So picking somewhere in the, in the, in the middle and then ground truth in it. 
uh, once you get out of the water to determine is that an area you want to come back into and try or not. So do those exit points that you're eyeballing, are those also serve as fish exit points when the tide starts dropping out? Uh, you know, uh, it could be at times. Uh, I find that when I'm fishing in the entry and exit points, I, I mean, I have caught fish, uh, but I don't think they're necessarily relating to the deeper water as much as they're uh, relating to the transition zones that uh, are in those areas. Uh, I encourage anyone that's interested in this, if they want to learn more about it, to pull up Google Earth and zoom in tight. You can see a lot of these transition zones where you know, your grass transitions to the sand uh, and the sand transitions to a, a larger grass area. And then on the opposite side of that, uh, you know, it transitions into a muddy, silty bottom into the tidal channels. So um, there's a lot that can be gathered. You just got to zoom in tight to see it. So if I, I was trying to follow everything and, and retain it. So if I'm looking at that, I'm not saying bring that slide back up, but if, if we're looking at that and zone one is from like the deeper water onto the flat and then zone two is the flat onto the grassy area and zone three is more of the tidal creeks that go within the grassy area. What, how do you determine on this given morning whether you're going to target zone one, two, or three? Okay, that's, that's another good question, Gary. Uh, a lot of times what I, what I have found um, is that uh, you can target uh, pretty much all three species throughout, and it's just a matter of fishing. Sometimes you go out and you do a lot of catching. Uh, other times you're going to go out and you're going to have to fish for them and find them. Um, from the deeper water up to zone one, uh, a lot of times you uh, have the tendency to uh, to catch speckled trout, flounder as they're pulling off of those shoals into the deeper water. Um, and as I come into the grass, more grassy areas, I have a uh, seems like a more success catching speckled trout and and drum in there than I do to flounder. Flounder don't like to to be situated in amongst a, a, a larger bed of grass that doesn't have much of a transition zone coming on the off side of that into where those tidal creeks are at uh, have uh, i found that red drum uh, use those areas migration zones uh, as they're moving through following bait and, and the flounder will stage up there as well so um, those are the kind of three areas that i would expect to catch um, either you know speckled trout uh, a red drum or flounder in those areas and you know we're sitting here talking, but you're subject to catch any of them anywhere. Fish will make a ladder out of you. And then if we're working these transition zones or we're sort of targeting the different areas of a flat, how is it that you're primarily moving it around? Is it trolling motor? Is it wind drift? Is it yeah. putting on your white gloves and pulling me around trying to get me to catch a fish? Right. So ideally, if I'm fishing the area that we just had up, we can go back to that first picture there. Um, you know, if we're fishing that and I find uh, a good area that I would like to enter, you know, you have a southwest wind that's going to kind of push you parallel with all of uh, the different zones that we have. Gary, I'd get right into the heart of it uh, and we'd work through uh, the center of that grassed area and <clears throat> work from zone one down towards zone three. Uh, if we are successful uh, and, we, and we catch a fish. Uh, a lot of times what I like to do is use power pole or stick it anchor to uh, hold the ground where we're at and see if there's any any others in that area. Um, you know, if we don't locate fish on a particular drift, I may move us more 
closer to the uh, bank side uh, and we and we drift through there but you know as you're working your way through uh, you're going to find some uh, cooperative fish for the most part uh, you just got to you know get in there and hunt them down to find them so uh as far as core sound goes man how how clear is that water are you do you find sight fishing opportunities or it doesn't really allow for that uh, on certain times of the year, the water is more clear than others. Um, a lot of times on the bank side, uh, the water is more clear than it is on the land side. So you do have opportunities for sight fishing. Um, you know, there's times where the water does get cloudy, but for the most part, it, I mean, it's pretty clear water. Um, and as you're pushing through, you may have the opportunity to, uh, you know, see some, um, you know, some trout or drum, um, you know, as they're, you know, swimming through. Oftentimes you you can see them. I have um, and pitch through them and catch. Um, other times, you know, you, I like to make long casts. So uh, you know, as you're working the structure and and working uh, these various zones, um, you, you could have fish out there that you aren't aware of. Well, I tell you what, man, we've got. I feel like we still have a lot to cover. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try sure. to channel it this way. So if if we're on a summer trip. You know, we'll just say like July or August. We're on a summer trip, you and I, and our goal is an inshore slam. And why don't you tell me like what your plan would be? Of course, like you said, fish will make liars out of you and you can plan away and then plans change. But as mm -hmm. far as like your plan for trout, red drum, flounder, like where we're going to, what zone and what we're going to throw, like how we're going to target it. I guess I'm channeling you into more okay. of like gear and tackle. How would, how would you love for it to go if you could script it? Well, a perfect day, if you will, I guess, to begin with, uh, if you're starting early morning, a uh, good topwater bait. A lot of times we'll, uh, you can pick up on some trout uh, or drone uh, with, uh, you know, a Spook Junior, Head and Spook Junior is a good bait. Uh, uh, your Zuri makes some good baits, whatever you have confidence in and throw on topwater. Um, I also find that uh, working popping corks is probably one of my go-tos with a, uh, 16th or an eight ounce uh, bucktail up underneath it uh, paired up with a, a gulp bait uh, you know I, I think those are certainly good baits and probably my go-to uh, uh, is a popping cord and depending hey, on i was going to ask why why a bucktail why do you prefer a bucktail over like just a jig head well i've had more success if you will i guess with a bucktail and i think that uh with the bucktail and i'll show you an example here if you can see it Am I on screen here, Gary? I can't even see myself. Yeah, you sure are, man. You're looking great. Okay. All right. Well, all right. So this right here is uh, one example of the bucktails that I that I do throw. It's a 16th ounce um, bucktail made by 43.2 Fish and Travis Harrison. Uh, it's a custom tackle maker. Does a really good job. Uh, what I do like about these uh, bucktails is that they are fairly light. They give the the bait a little more dimension than just a jig head. Uh, with a goat bait or a, a plastic coming off of it. And I think this uh, bucktail also slows the descent, keeping the bait more in the strike zone of, uh, of the fish that we're targeting. What I like about that is if I use a two-foot uh, uh, fluorocarbon leader, which is usually 15 to 20 pounds um, off of the popping cork, and I've got two different popping corks that I do use. Um, here's an example of one. It's a Billy Bay. Um, it's just a more slender popping cork. Then here's another uh, Billy Bay popping cork that I, I oftentimes use. Uh, and, and if we have a light wind, I will use this uh, more slender version uh, than, a, than I will on a stronger wind. But all right, so a two foot leader coming off of it, 
Um, you know, I've caught all three species using that bucktail uh, with a gulp bait. And as I'm working through uh, fishing the flats, um, certainly has been productive for me no matter what zone I'm in. So that's what, I, that what I, I would initially target. If I don't find that to be successful, I'd pull out, uh, you know, Johnson Silver Minnow. That's uh, gold-colored in nature. Uh, another good bait uh, would be a Z-Man Chatterbait. Uh, that would be more of a search bait as I'm trying to locate fish. Uh, so uh, these are some baits that I have found to be uh, successful to me. And other opportunities that uh, that you do have, if you want to fish just a plain jig head, uh, with a with a gold bait or plastic on the on the end of it, you know certainly uh, whatever you have confidence in. Uh, I find that white uh, is a really good color. Uh, white with a chartreuse tail is another good combination. And if push comes to shove, uh, another uh, a bait that I throw a lot of times is this Strike King um, Redfish Magic uh, uh, bait. Depends on what color. You want to fish again, a uh, white or a chartreuse color. Uh, that gold flash a lot of times will generate strike. I've caught all three species on that. Um, so as you're working through, I mean, you got to throw what you have confidence in throwing, um, and uh, you know you you will end up catching fish through these flats if you work them hard enough. Now, um, it's not all about artificial bait either. I think one good note is to uh, be able to throw a cast net. There's a lot of uh, fresh live bait that you can capture on your way to the flats, uh, whether it be pogies or mullet or some shrimp, depending on the season. Um, you know, all of those live baits are excellent to use uh, when targeting all three species. Uh, and I'm not opposed to using cut bait uh, when fishing for red drum. You may have a red drum turn their nose up at a uh, artificial bait uh, time and time again, but you throw a, a piece of fresh cut bait in front of them, uh, a lot of times you're going to hook up on them. So I'm going to guess that Drifting isn't a bait situation, but if you find something with a search or you get a fish and you put your power, power pole down or your stick it pin, like that's when you might employ the, the bait presentation? Uh, yeah. So if you locate fish, uh, man, you want to power pole down, um, you know, you can take your, uh, a live shrimp. Uh, I like to throw those out on a weightless line. Uh, with a two alt bait keeper hook uh, basically just throw them out as i am fan casting uh, the area with an artificial bait i'll have a live bait out there uh, working as well uh, put it in the rod holder it can be fishing while you are continuing to fish now um, other opportunities for fishing um, and if you're fishing cut bait is to uh, power pole down and pretty much throw uh, several uh, baits off towards, uh, you know, whatever area you feel that the fish will be working. Um, and this will be red drum. Um, and, uh, you know, work that with cut bait. Uh, and if you're, if you're looking to target specifically uh, red drum, certainly a good opportunity to do that and move around till you can locate them. All right. I got a, I got a couple of follow-ups as I do. So mm -hmm. I like, um, I like the idea of that light bucktail underneath the popping cork. I mean, I think I asked about the jig head just because it seems like the jig head's the go-to, but I, I definitely understand the logic with the bucktail. So if I'm on your boat and, you know, I have marginal skills to okay skills, what's the advice you give to clients before they start throwing out and working a popping cork? What, what advice do you give them or what sort of, you know, guidance do you give them? Well, a lot of times when you are working this, you, you 
got enough clarity of the water where you can see the underwater structure, whether it be an isolated grass patch um, or you know, as you're working through, make long cast um, and work it all the way back to the boat. I mean, I've caught fish as soon as uh, the popping cork hits the water uh, and I've caught them all the way to you about to pick it up out of the water and put it in the boat um, and had fish hit it right at the boat. So that'd be probably the biggest advice is to just work the popping cork. And as you are, you know, you're going to pop it, let it settle back down for a couple of seconds, give it another pop reel in the slack, um, and just work it all the way back in. If I'm, uh, if we're drifting, are you telling me to cast in the direction we're drifting, like cast it, cast it forward? Yeah, you'd be, I mean, if you were fishing with me, you'd be working off the bow of the boat. Um, you know, I'd be in control of it and I'd have you casting in the direction that we're drifting. Um, I'd keep the boat uh, slowed down, um, whether I have to use the power pole or, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong necessarily with using a trolling motor in certain circumstances. But uh, the more you can stay in the drift mode, I think it's better. Um, so use uh, whatever method you have to either slow your drift or stop your drift, work an area drift through and continue work in that area until you locate the fish. What about advice you give clients when you put a spoon in their hand? Uh, simply just throw it out and reel it in. I mean, you just keep a steady retrieve with it. I mean, you're trying to just get the flash out, get the draw the attention of the fish, uh, make again, but make long cast as long as, uh, you know, you're capable of doing, uh, reaching out uh, and, and covering as much ground as you can, you know, one time that I fish with a uh, with a spoon, I'm trying to locate the fish. Um, you know, after I do that, I may scale down and, and fish with a bucktail or uh, fish with another bait that I have more confidence in. But um, if you have confidence, keep throwing, but make long casts and just reel it in. Keep a steady retrieve. All right, I think those. I think we exhausted my follow-up questions on the sort of the bait selection, the artificial lure selection you gave me at least. And I I'm glad you talked about bait you know, actual bait, because I was going to ask that, like, you know, when are we in a bait situation? Um, wh what else, man? I know you had a list of stuff you wanted to cover. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure how to set you up with the next question. I'm just eager to hear what else you have to share. Uh, I think probably some of the biggest things that I've walked away from with learning over the years and fishing the flats um, is you will not fully understand what all a shallow water body has to offer until you get in there and explore. Um, you know, find some days that uh, will, uh, you got weather in your favor, let the wind work for you, push you through and, and make a day out of it and enjoy it. Um, you're going to have times where you, you go in and, and you learn things. You learn where these tidal channels come in, how are fish relate to that, uh, whether you know, it be speckled trout, uh, red drum or flounder. Uh, fish areas thoroughly, uh, work slowly, and uh, and just absorb what you can while you're out there. Um, you know, there there are a lot of different options, ways to pursue fish in the flats. Um, you're not going to learn anything about it uh, staying on the outside. You got to get in the middle of it and and explore those three zones that I was talking about, um, and and learn what you can from it. All right. How about uh? And I, I mean, I, I made a, you know, a comment about a scientific paper, because we were talking about all these different variables. But again, if I were to ask you to sort of simplify it for us, maybe again by framing it as far as like the perfect morning or the perfect, you know, afternoon, whatever. 
Like, so what's your favorite tide? Uh, you know, I prefer uh, getting in again on a high uh, flood tide, um, fishing the, the last couple of hours of flood tide, the first couple of hours of the falling tide. Um, I, most ideal would be winds that are around five, uh, no more than 10 miles an hour. I think when you, when you get winds in excess of 10, uh, conditions start to get a little bit more rough. Uh, certainly when they exceed 15, you may be looking for areas that have a buffered bank to uh, get in and fish. Um, but, uh, those would be the, uh, primary times that, uh, or conditions that I would look for, um, and get and- in and, and fish some of these flats. And that flood tide and fall tide, is it, is it, you have a theory as to why that's the best producer? Uh, no, if you just ask for my uh, favorite time or most preferred time, it just gives you more access to more of the area when you have more water to work with. Um, you know, again, I, I've got another boat that I operate out that has 10 inches of draft. Uh, I can get through most anywhere I want to be. I know there are certain areas I can't get across on a completely falling out tide, um, but uh, you know I've had I've had success at all stages of the tides. Uh, but flood tide certainly gives you the most access to uh, more of the area. Does a core sound have a big tidal flux? I mean, is there a, a big difference between high tide water and low tide water? Now you're looking around a foot, uh, 1.2 feet, uh, as far as a tide swing between, you know, high tide and low tide. But when you're not dealing with just a couple of feet to begin with, certainly you can lose navigable water. Uh, if you've got two feet and you lose, uh, you know, a little over half of that, you're dealing with less than a foot of water that you can work through. A lot of times you're going to find this um, on these flats or shallow waters that you're trying to work through. Uh, so that's, that's why I say a flood tide will, will give you uh, the most water to work with and having basically a four-hour window to um, get in fish. And if you need to get out, come on out. Um, if you don't, find you an area to work on low tide that you can navigate through and enjoy the day. Longest time that you've spent high and dry on a flat? Mm. Probably uh, about four or five hours. Uh, All right. <laughs> Um, right on. Hey, man, I'm gonna, I think you've already given us your final thoughts when I sort of set you up, but I, I just don't want to move away from you. This is we're coming to the end. Do you have a Jerry Springer final thought for us, man? Well, you know, I think you led into that. You know, if you do end up high and dry, it's not necessarily the end of the day. A good thing to have in your boat is some quality boat shoes. Um, if you find that you don't have a way to navigate out of the flats, uh, you know, Anchor your boat up, um, get out and walk some of these flats and continue to fish. You don't have to stay right there. You can, you can wade fish, certainly good opportunities. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed doing that even when I didn't have the boat completely bottomed out. Uh, but uh, you're going to learn some lessons along the way, just like I have if you get in and explore. But I can promise you, uh, you get in and fish the flats, uh, you'll find that they can be very productive waters and certainly enjoyable when pursuing an inshore slam. Captain Tommy Sports, Sports Fishing Adventures out of the sea level area, targeting the core sound primarily. Man, thank you for your time. Thank you for your expertise. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Yeah, thank you, Gary. I certainly do appreciate your time to, to talk with you. You got it, man. Thanks again, Tommy. All right, Billy. That brings us to you. That brings us to Billy's best takeaway. 
Man, so many good takeaways in that episode. Um, I've never really done that style of fishing, like flats fishing or whatnot. I mean, maybe a couple times with somebody else, but definitely not on my own boat for obvious reasons. However, if I did have a boat, I would make sure uh, there's, you know, I, and I've been in one of those situations where I'm like, dude, we're about to be out here for a minute. And I didn't bring an extra pack of crackers or bologna sandwich or nothing. Like I'm about to be hungry, <laughs> you know? uh, but to like prepare and know the capabilities of your boat and your, and your ability as a captain, I think it's huge because you know, you getting these skinny waters, man, it's nerve wracking anyway, just being a pedestrian on the boat <laughs> or whatever I would call it, you know, passenger, I know I've been in situations where I'm like, my buttholes get eat this seat because we're either we ain't, we ain't gonna make it, you know. So so be prepared. Um, I think that was what I took away the most was like, you know, be super real with yourself. Like, can I do this? Can I navigate these skinny waters and and come out come out of here? Not that you're gonna die, but dude, getting stuck out there for even four or five hours in the hot sun sounds miserable. You know? Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like his approach. Like, just get out there and try it, man. Just get out there yeah. on the flat and try it. Um, yeah, you, you want to have some crackers or a bologna sandwich for sure. Like, uh, I mean, I like it. I, I think I was kind of introduced to it behind Hatteras, and it is fun, man. Drift, wind drifting, you know, those flats, you know, over grass, over different bottom. And just being methodical. And sometimes you get the sight fishing opportunities and sometimes you're just covering water and yeah, man, it's just a great day. And then, you know, if you hook up, you're hooking up with a fish in like two feet of water. So you get to watch the fight unfold. You get to see it run yeah. around the boat or wherever it's going to run as opposed to, you know, disappearing in deeper water and being an up and down fight. I mean, it's great. It's great fun. Yeah, I, man. I, I, I welcome every opportunity, man. I, I like how, Tommy's methodical, breaks it into zones and, you know, just sort of, I'm guessing that's his style out on the water too, methodically covering those zones and covering different baits until he finds out what works and, you know, makes sense to me. Yeah, man. I, as I often say, these guys, you know, people go, oh, they're, they're fishermen, but they're like scientists, really. I mean, they're really figuring it out and charting stuff and making it happen, finding these fish, man. It's tough work. So I'm glad. And I love the aerial stuff that he sent to us too, man. That was cool. That was cool to see and hear how people look at Google maps and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of good takeaways, Gary, a lot of good takeaways. So go to yeah, Marine man. Warehouse Center and get that boat. That'll go in 10 inches of water. That's what I, that's another takeaway. I got so many of them. I have lists. Yeah, you gotta be like, Tommy, if you only have one <laughs> boat, then we're talking to you. <laughs> Just like Tommy, you need a couple of boats, man. You need a 10 inch. Yeah. And a 14-inch boat for water clearance. Right. And Emmett and Terrell will take care of you, man. You just stop by with your credit card or maybe your bank statement, and they'll do the rest, man. They will hook you up. <laughs> and if you do, if you don't make enough money, you get a bland landscaping company. I'm sure they can hook you up. <laughs> tell, yeah. tell them Fish Post guys sent you. Those <laughs> yeah. Fish Post guys told me you'd beat my current rate. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I need a job. <laughs> man, it's been super fun, Gary. We'll catch you in the next one. All right, Billy. Thank you. Fisherman.